Satan wants to keep you in the shallow end of the faith. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open your word to us and give us understanding, that we might see it, that we might hear it, that we might do it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was fishing out on the far end of a lake out in California called Lake Piru, and I was cruising along what looked like a good place for fish to hide up in a reedy area. As I inched into the reeds, my engine started making loud, grinding noises. The boat shook violently, and then suddenly the engine shut off. I had gotten into water that was too shallow, and the engine propeller was buried in the sand. I was stranded in shallow water. It's easy to cruise along with religion to thoughtlessly seek a good place to explore the faith. But if you're not thoughtful and deep and look for the easy answers, you'll end up getting stranded in shallow places. This morning we'll look at shallow religion. Shallow religion. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 10. Luke 13, beginning in verse 10. And it says there in verse 10, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself. Now the context and the timing on this is in the timing of Jesus' ministry. It's gone forth, it's unpacked itself, and by this point in time, the religious authorities in Israel are turning against Jesus. You may notice that they're constantly having arguments with Jesus, trying to entrap Jesus with his words, even riling up mobs to try to kill Jesus. Now perhaps the ruler of this synagogue grudgingly let Jesus minister among them because the people are still acclaiming and wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? They're coming after him because they want to hear his words. They're hoping to see a miracle, maybe even performed on themselves. And so this ruler, as we'll see in a minute, who seems not to appreciate Jesus, perhaps grudgingly let Jesus minister in this synagogue. And in the midst of this, there's this woman here. She's bent over. She's wrecked having been oppressed by Satan for 18 years. Now, I want to remind you, think about this for a minute. We've got all these stories in the Bible, but we're told that only a fraction of what happened was recorded by the gospel accounts. Many other things Jesus did. Now, if you think about this for a minute, these are the very words of God taken down in the Bible, spoken through men, the Holy Spirit moving on them, and only a fraction of what Jesus said and did is recorded and these things are all predestined by the hand of God coming forth in their perfect timing, then I ask you, is 18 years superfluous here? This woman's been bent over for 18 years. What is that about? Well, first of all, if you think about it and you divide it, you've got three times six. Everybody here knows threes, the number of resurrection. In the old covenant, you've got six days and you're waiting for the rest day of the Sabbath, so we've got three times six here. But more than that, there's some interesting stories in the Old Testament concerning 18 years. In Judges 3, Israel was oppressed for 18 years by Eglon of Moab. Remember Ehud, the left-handed knife man, comes up against this oppressor, stabs him in the gut, right? And it says the fat closed over the knife, and then Israel was delivered after 18 years. In Judges 10, Israel is ruled over for 18 years 
by the Philistines and the Ammonites, and then they were liberated and set free. But I think one of the most interesting stories, one of the most prospective ones concerning an 18-year liberation is what happened under the reign of Josiah, the greatest of the kings of Judah after the time of David and Solomon. And in 2 Chronicles 34, 8, it says this, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johas, to record or repair the house of the Lord his God. And what happened? You guys remember the story, kids? Sound familiar at all? So Josiah was a great king because he cleansed the land and he finally took down the high places. He took down all the altars. He cleansed the temple of all the idols that had been there. He gave the people pure religion. He, in reality, exercised the land. And then when the house of the Lord is being repaired, they're in a far-off corner of the temple. They find the book of the king. It's probably the portion of the law of Moses concerning kings. Kings aren't to have many wives. They're not to accumulate for themselves property and riches. They're to lead the people in righteousness. And Josiah is cut to the quick by this. He tears his garments and he cleanses the land. He exercises the land of evil. And then this happens in 2 Chronicles 35, 19. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. There were 37,600 lambs that were slaughtered. There were 3,800 bulls. Now these animals aren't simply slaughtered and turned into sacrifices. They're actually peace offerings. And the Passover is probably a type of a peace offering. And so the priests slaughtered the animals and barbecued them for the people. And the thousands of Israelites come and they celebrate the feast of the Passover. Second Chronicles 35, 18 says this, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. It was liberation. It was feast time. It was jubilee in the 18th year, and here in the midst of the synagogue, we've got this woman here bent over, oppressed by Satan for 18 years, and I want to submit to you, she's symbolic of Israel. Let's go on to verse 12 in Luke 13. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. This woman is somewhere in the background of the crowd. Shrunken and weak, she can't get to where Jesus is. But Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees his people in need. Notice that he called her over to himself. She didn't seek out Jesus. Oftentimes, you may remember when Jesus is walking through crowds, people cry out, Jesus, heal me! Jesus, do this or that for me! People come up and touch the hem of Jesus' garment. But this woman is off in the back here of the synagogue. Perhaps she'd come to a point of hopelessness. Even Jesus can't help her in her mind. Jesus declared her liberated and laid his hands on her, and it was so. And she glorified God in this wonderful moment. And notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching, and Jesus is doing. Jesus is preaching the kingdom, and Jesus is manifesting the kingdom. Like King Josiah, he's cleansing the land, and he's caring for his subjects. Jesus' religion is pure, and Jesus' religion is deep and wide. But what happens? Here's a woman who's made straight after 18 years. It happens in the synagogue of all places. It happens on the Sabbath day. 
And this woman begins to glorify God. It should have been a wonderful moment of liberation as Messiah sets his people free. But in verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which to work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The synagogue ruler was indignant. That was, he was angry. He was incensed by this because of religious scruples about the Sabbath. Now notice this. The synagogue ruler, rather than speaking to Jesus privately, rather than speaking to Jesus directly, notice he doesn't speak to Jesus here. He turns to the crowd and he makes a scene. He turns to the crowd and he makes a scene. You'll notice that the Pharisaic rulers are constantly using this tactic, turning to the crowd, trying to rile up the crowd against Jesus' shallow religion glams on to the rigid, easy answers rather than ask difficult questions like, why are there so many demon-possessed and demon-oppressed persons among the people of God in the first century? Have you ever noticed that? If you look out throughout the Old Testament, you'll see demonic activity, but when Jesus arrives on the scene in Israel in the first century, there's demons everywhere. There's demons in almost every synagogue, it would seem, and no one's asking that question why. Do you ever see any scribe or Pharisee or synagogue ruler asking that question? Why are Israel's religious leaders unable to heal the people and cast the demons out? Shallow religion has shallow rabbis like this who had six days a week by his own words to carry out a healing and an exorcism. Six days a week for 18 years and he couldn't heal this woman. Imagine this woman's condition. Kids, you ever hurt your back? I hurt my back the first time bad when I was 20. And the older you get, the worse it gets. And for those of you who are a little bit on the elderly side of the middle age sphere, right? I always throw my back out in ways that I can't even figure out. You know, getting out of bed, sort of rolling out of bed, or grabbing a candy bar on the counter, or playing racquetball really slow and turning slightly to the left. It's not as though I went out and grabbed a log and lifted it up over my head. Sometimes I'll throw my back out, and I'll be laid up in the bed for a couple days. I can't move. And then I'm able to go to work, but I'm walking around like this, and I, I can't straighten myself up because it's so painful. Pain shooting down my legs. Can you imagine this woman? 18 years. Her back, unstraightened, and we're told that it's actually a spiritual issue. There's some sort of spirit that's oppressing her, oppressing her spiritually, but actually having consequences on her physically. Imagine the humiliation at this time in Israel where everyone assumes that if you've got some physical problem, you've got sin in your life that you haven't taken care of. This woman coming into the synagogue, coming week by week, coming in, bent over in pain, so much pain, she probably can't hear or think about the word of God. And all the synagogue ruler can say about her healing is, six days a week and yet you come in here on the Sabbath? Don't do this and yet he had all those days and years and he could not heal this woman. Shallow religion says things like, the law says abortion on demand is legal so that settles the issue. Or the government strongly recommends you trust them to raise and teach your children. So don't rock the boat by taking charge of their education. And I want to say this to you, friends. Don't trust the high priests of secularism. Don't trust the high priests of shallow religion. Going on to verse 15. 
Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? In the desire to follow the orthodoxy of the day, the Pharisaic synagogue ruler misses the point of religion. And I want to say this, friends. He misses the point of religion. Religion isn't about a set of doctrines. Religion isn't about some systematic theology, though these things are important. Religion isn't about communicating a set of doctrines or some religious point of view. Religion at the end of the day, true religion is about people. It's about people. The church at the end of the day is about people. We're told that the church is the temple of the living God made up of fleshly stones. People, you and I, God cares about people. Jesus cares about people. The religious rulers of the first century in Israel had forgotten about people. You give no thought to caring for animals, says Jesus, but not a person. You give no thought to caring about an animal, but not a person. Does that sound familiar in our day? We can also make an inference from this about what Jesus thinks about animals. They're to be cared for. We're to give dominion in the beginning over the created order. We're supposed to be good stewards over the created order. We're to care for animals, and if you look at the Jewish traditions, they always take great care in slaughtering animals that are to be eaten. They're to be cared for, but humans are more important. People are the apex of creation and are uniquely the image of God and are to have dominion over the animal order. Shallow religion bangs on the drum of animal rights, but rushes headlong to kill unborn humans. Verse 17, as he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The religious leaders of Israel, promoters of shallow religion, wanted to control what the people thought and did. But Jesus set the people free. He sets this woman free from the demon and sets her free from her illness after 18 years, and they rejoiced. In challenging shallow religion, Jesus was challenging the orthodoxy of his day with the word of God. Friends, I want to say this. Let us challenge the orthodoxy of our day. Let us challenge the shallow religions of our day. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. The orthodoxy of our day says nature is our God and our religion. Global warming is the new apocalypse versus the true God made nature and we are to be good stewards, but the apocalypse is Jesus' final coming and his final judgment. Orthodoxy of our day says these are terrible times and we live in a terrible nation where it is futile to work hard versus King Jesus is in control and we should be content and grateful with what we have working hard for him. The orthodoxy of our day says words have no meaning and we can make our own reality. Gender and institutions are just social constructs versus God made the world and his holy word gives the world Meaning and the orthodoxy of our day shows us the trendy, cowardly, cultural elites dividing the world by race versus one race, a new race, the new humanity in Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. 
So my boat was stranded out in the shallow water. The propeller buried in the sand. I was stuck. So I grabbed an oar and began to vigorously push back out into the deeper waters where the engine started back up and I wasn't stranded in the shallows. Being in the waters of shallow religion is not where you want to be as a Christian. That's where cheap grace is. That's where the boring, easy path to hell is. It's the shallow end of the baby pool. You want to be launched out into the deep, dangerous waters of orthodoxy, where the kingdom of God is pressing forward, where the saints and martyrs have been driving back the darkness for 2,000 years, and where all the exciting action is. Friends, you've been predestined and called to times such as these. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a romantic person. Sometimes I wish I'd lived in the 17th century and was going across the Appalachian Mountains with explorers for the first time. But I've been called to be here. I've been called to this time and place. And guess what? So have you. Let's go cause some trouble in Satan's back 40. This morning we've seen in the Gospel of Luke, shallow religion, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us. We pray that you would strengthen us and deepen us. Make our faith deep and wide. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.